My name is Fiona Zeiger, and you're listening to The Migration Podcast. People move abroad for many reasons, one being education. Jamie spoke to Cora Shu about her research on the educational mobilities of Chinese university students. Cora finds that studying abroad is driven by aspirations for upward social mobility as well as a pursuit of purpose. While those aspirations are widely shared among these educational migrants, where they study largely depends on family wealth. Thank you so much for joining us, Cora. Just while we start, I was wondering whether you could briefly introduce yourself and your position and maybe just a little bit about what your research is about in general. Yes, um, I'm a lecturer in education at Kiel University in the UK. My research mainly explores migration that is motivated by pursuits of education, what is referred to usually as education mobilities. My geographical focus has been in China and other parts of Asia. I'm interested in investigating how educational migration decisions are made, how educational migration is experienced, and how it in turn shapes the lifelong trajectories of the migrants themselves, as well as their families. Fantastic. Um, so in, in terms of putting a little bit of detail on those general themes, I was wondering, um, could you tell us which patterns of migration you've looked at just recently? Yeah, so uh, more recently, I've been investigating the migration experiences of different groups of people. And these include uh, mostly middle class students from mainland China who chose to pursue their undergraduate studies in Hong Kong. And uh, the second group is a mix of working class and middle class students from Hong Kong who pursued their undergraduate studies in mainland China's universities. The third group uh, includes Chinese academics who come from rural and impoverished backgrounds, as well as the fourth group includes um, mostly middle class or even upper middle class Chinese students who have received higher education degrees in the UK. Fantastic. I, one of the things I've, I really enjoy about your research is that um, you don't just talk about uh, migration into Europe, but also uh, migration between different East Asian destinations. In particular, I think the Hong Kong-China angle is very fascinating. I was just wondering whether you might talk a little bit about some of the context behind that for us. So I think there are two major contextual clues to the education migration that I research. So the first uh, one is the um, you know globalization and internationalization of the higher education sector, and the second one is the social, educational, and political inequalities both within China and globally. Now, regarding the first context on globalization and internationalization of higher education, it has been seen that you know technological advancements in communication and in transportation have facilitated increased traffic of humans and goods on a global scale. And this has created some infrastructural possibilities for individual students and their families, like those that I research, to contemplate and navigate their pursuit of, of education by crossing all kinds of borders, including within-country borders, such as the border between uh, Hong Kong and mainland China, as well as uh, cross-national borders, such as moving from China to other parts of, of the world. Um, the internationalization agenda that has now characterized most universities and education institutions' strategic development has also made it not only possible, but sometimes an imperative for institutions to attract and accommodate a large number of non-local students 
from other parts of the same country or from other countries. So for instance, in Hong Kong, universities in Hong Kong are constantly talking about attracting students uh, not from outside of Hong Kong. And therefore, there is this uh, very interesting phenomenon where they call everybody, you know, all students not from Hong Kong as non-local students. Whereas in fact, most of them, or usually quite a large proportion of them, are from mainland China. Now, this idea that movement creates knowledge, generates income and facilitates collaboration opportunities have now been deeply embedded in much of the higher education sector worldwide, including the universities in Hong Kong, mainland China and in the UK, for instance. Now, regarding the second context on the uh, social, educational and political inequalities within China and on the global scale, we can see that within China, for instance, the opening and reforming era since the late 1970s has been characterized by a tacit sort of agreement, or some would actually contest that, that some people in China will become rich and richer or much richer than the rest of the nation. And this has resulted in notable wealth and social inequalities as manifested through the rural-urban divides and class divides. As a result, those from middle class or upper middle class backgrounds and urban areas are much more likely to capitalize on their abundant available resources to help their children acquire the most coveted educational credentials and experiences. And given the global dominance of Western higher education, a lot of Chinese parents have sent their children to universities in the West, such as the UK, to get educated. However, uh, what I also want to emphasize is that the within-country inequalities or political divides can also um, motivate people to move. For instance, a lot of the middle-class students or working-class students that I research have told me that their, their families are, are simply not rich enough uh, to send them abroad, and therefore they have to carve out unique or special paths for themselves. So for instance, working-class students in Hong Kong who are uh, usually sort of excluded from entering the local Hong Kong institutions, had to take up these uh, preferential admission uh, policies offered by mainland Chinese universities in order to achieve upward social mobility. And middle-class students in many parts of China have found that they cannot uh, just go abroad directly. And therefore, to them choosing uh, these opportunities to study in Hong Kong became a prime uh, sort of option for them. And therefore, the unequal relations between the two peoples across the mainland China-Hong Kong border, uh, which is underpinned by the one country, two systems principle, uh, has created a very interesting sort of uh, cross-border dynamic for my research. Thank you so much. I mean, that's very thorough. And one of the things I think that is really interesting um, and parallels uh, both my own research and research I've discovered about educational mobilities more broadly is this significant difference between the class backgrounds of people who might be doing inter-Asian educational migration because it's not as expensive um, and things like that, as opposed to people in the UK. So I was wondering, in terms of the UK context, is the stereotype that people who come to the UK are much more wealthy always true? Or do you have any examples of other kinds of circumstances? In my research, uh, unfortunately, most of my uh, participants are from very affluent backgrounds. <laughs> and so it sort of conformed to the uh, stereotype that, you know, these are uh, people uh, or, you know, students from very well-off backgrounds. However, if you explore uh, our network for research into Chinese education mobilities, there are actually some entries where scholars have 
have looked at Chinese students who, who are from middle class or sometimes even working class backgrounds who have managed to come to study in the UK. And usually this group of students, uh, you know, they are extremely determined to pursue higher education abroad. And what they do is sometimes, you know, their parents would actually sell their property in order to fund their studies abroad. And and therefore, this uh, group of students usually have a lot of psychological stress and, you know, in their... Uh, they're extremely determined to get a good job, um, you know, uh, after or even before they finish their studies in the UK. And therefore, in my most recent project where I look at students' study to work transition during or, or after their studies in the UK, uh, we find that uh, because of these kind of class differences, the way they envisage their career, the way they think about employment uh, can be really, really different. Fantastic. Um, so one of the things that uh, I'm kind of curious about, as somebody who has also clearly um, studied in a variety of different locations, is what sparked your interest in this topic of educational mobility? Was it personal or or there, was there a particular kind of catalyst or event? Yeah, um, I'm really glad that you asked uh, this question. So my interest in education migration was largely stemmed from my personal experiences. So I grew up in an impoverished family in a rural village in southern China. And my family was always struggling to make ends meet. And thanks to three different full-cost scholarships, I was able to pursue my undergraduate studies in Hong Kong, my master's studies in London, and my PhD studies in Cambridge in the UK. To me, education migration has been a pivotal means to achieving upward social mobility and to enriching and broadening the scope of my life in unimaginable ways. However, my own trajectory has also revealed to me the many inequalities that are plaguing our society. My research has shown that uh, it is harder and harder now for those from the most disadvantaged backgrounds to achieve upward social mobility uh, through education and or education migration in China. I have therefore dedicated much of my research with a view to addressing such problems. I'm very passionate about this, not because, you know, from coming from Australia, obviously, uh, I haven't faced similar challenges, but because I've known so many people who've gone through these kinds of challenges, I've, it's really heartening to hear your success story. I was wondering uh, if you had any particular stories about something that fascinated you or surprised you about this Chinese educational mobility context? Yeah, um, I would like to evoke the story of a participant with the pseudonym of Fei. So Fei is from Shanghai and went to Hong Kong to study at the age of 18. When I first interviewed him in 2013, he was really antipathetic to the people of Hong Kong and some of their behavior. For example, he spent a lot of time telling me how he disliked the behavior of soaking one's chopsticks in warm water before having a meal among some Hong Kongers. However, a few years later, in I think around 2017 or 18, when I had lunch with him again, I found that he soaked his own chopsticks in warm water before he began eating. And when I asked him about that after lunch, he was rather surprised as the habit developed almost subconsciously without him realizing it. And what this incident revealed to me was that migration can fundamentally alter a person's behavior in subtle but significant ways that usually the migrant, him or herself, is not even aware of. 
Well, in this case, the change or transformation was on a bodily habit. Very often, it is, it is also about how they think, what they believe in. And in much of my writing, I have demonstrated that education migration could have long-lasting effects on migrants' outlooks, daily habits, political beliefs, or career pursuits. Fantastic. I, I, I love that uh, anecdote because for me, the reason why we study migration isn't just about migration, but it's about how being in a new context tells us something about the way people live, behave, etc. So that's a wonderful anecdote. It's actually a perfect segue as well, because one of the things that um, we'd like to address within the Amisco podcast is some of the broader kind of theoretical questions. And so from what I understand of your research so far, you're very much focused on how moving affords different kinds of social mobility but also that sometimes that there are obstacles within that so I was wondering if I could invite you to maybe talk a little bit about what your research tells us about this really big question that is still yet to be solved in migration studies. Why do people move? Um, my research has shown, uh, so far shown that people engaging education migration in pursuit of mainly happiness and a sense of purpose in life. It's, uh, it's interesting because I have written quite a few papers about that and I'm actually uh, in the process of writing a book about these few research projects that I have been uh, working on. And it seems to me that what uh, boils down uh, you know, to be the, the, the motivation of migration or education migration in this context is really that people want to be happy. And people want to know why they are doing what they are doing, why they are living their lives. It may sound very simple and uh, and basic, but it's actually to me uh, fundamental. These are some fundamental needs of humans. Fantastic. So um, if I could be so cheeky as to paraphrase, you are kind of interested in how migration helps us understand what it means to live well and how that decision to move um, to go for the better or, or the good is a, a, re a real reason why a lot of people move in the first place. Yes, yes. I think you have put it beautifully. Thank you. No, no, no. Thank you so much for sharing your research with us today. I just wondered if there was anything else you wanted to talk about. And in particular, I'm, I'm curious to know what next piece of research you're hoping to do and why you think it's important? Based on my um, current research findings, especially about how Chinese students uh, uh, who, who move across borders to pursue education have uh, developed their political uh, socialization, you know, their political identity, etc. I published a, a few papers on, on this aspect and I'm thinking whether or not I could, uh, you know, use more creative methods to capture this aspect of their life. Oh, fantastic. Um, thank you so much again. And uh, we hope to hear from more of your research very, very soon. Cora Shu is lecturer at Kiel University.